Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hoover. This is absolutely in no way legal advice. Yeah, obviously, I'm just sharing my opinion, um, but it's important for them to seek legal advice from an attorney in their area or somebody that can assist them um, with their particular. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? Uh, my name is Maya Hoover. I'm the host of What Was Her Name? And today I have uh, my guest, Karina Reyna, back on the episode for a bonus episode this week. We're answering your questions. I had posted something on TikTok and um, about almost 500 of you all commented your questions. And so we're going to do our best to just kind of weave through some of these questions. And um, Karina, if you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself as well as maybe just give another disclaimer, um, that way I can include it in the episode. Yes, absolutely. Hi, guys. My name is Karina Reyna. I'm a family law attorney here in LA County. Um, I'm excited to be on the show and answer your questions, but I do want you guys to understand that this is in no way legal advice. This is just my opinion and I'm giving maybe perhaps some, um, or maybe perhaps I'm answering some questions based on past cases, but that does not mean that it would work out in your case. And I encourage everyone to always seek legal advice from an experienced attorney in your area um, that can help you with your matters. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Super grateful that you're coming on. I know we were just talking about how you literally have um, another hearing in like an hour or something. So I'm like really grateful that you're just taking the time to come on here. I know that there's a lot of people who benefited from your episode. Uh, Lots of people had reached out. So um, I'm really looking forward to this episode. Me too. Okay, so let's get started. Um, I'm kind of just going to scroll through my TikTok and then look through the questions. so, um, MA Caroni 99 says, how do I get full custody in Florida of my children whose father is a narcissist, but always manages to find loopholes and thinks he's above the law? Well, it's, those are questions that I always get. How do I get full custody? I feel like you would know if you should be entitled to full custody because mm-hmm. things are already happening. And telling the court that somebody is a narcissist is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, what I what I would say is, what type of custody do you want? Because there's two types of custody, and in California we call it the legal custody and the and the physical custody. So the legal custody is the ability to make decisions regarding the health and safety of your children, and the other one is the physical custody. Um, like I mentioned in the last episode they're never going to stop dad from having the right to see the children. Um, But if you're trying to take away someone's legal custody because they're making it very difficult for you to make important decisions for your children, you have to really provide detailed examples to the court of that and how it has had an effect, a negative effect on your children and their well-being or their school or just anything in general. Um, But just asking, how do I get full legal cut full legal custody or full physical custody i think it's very difficult to answer something like that and and i think if somebody really needed the custody they would know specifically how to ask it in a way where they would say if my um 
partner is continuing to do this, will the court consider taking away their custody? Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Um, we'll just keep hopping on to new questions. Um, so Sarah says, what is the language and wording I should utilize? I know we did a little bit of this in the last episode. Um, one of the things you mentioned was, for example, if you have children saying our children, not my children, what are other things in the way that you should word things when you're in the middle of court? I think it's important to always show the court that you're the most reasonable parent possible. And what that means is that you're going to tell the court, look, court, I want nothing more than for my child to have a relationship with the other parent as long as they are safe, as long as the um, uh, the visits or the relationship that they have is um, is in the best interest of the children. But you never want to go in there and say, no, that's not going to be a good schedule. No, that's not going to be. Uh, a good thing for my child. No, they shouldn't have overnights. You have to actually come in and have examples and show the court, but you have to say it in a way where you're reminding the court that you're willing to do it as long as your child is always safe and protected and whatever we're doing is going to be in the child's best interest. Hmm. Yeah. So good. Um, what about, so Shelly says, um, my partner has gotten away for over a year without paying any child support. So the child support has nothing to do with the other party having visits with the children. The court will completely separate it. So just because someone doesn't pay child support does not mean that they will not have access to the children. You can definitely file a motion um, to get the arrears owed, but there's different scenarios where there's not a lot that the court can do. And I know that this is very frustrating with people or for people when the other party works under the table or they're just completely fabricating their income. So it's important for you to collect your evidence and be able to show it to the court, but it may not always work. That's why it's really important to get a lawyer and someone that can um, formulate an appropriate response or the evidence needed to show the court that they are working and that they need to pay you. Right, right. Um, Ari Colisimo says odds of get odds of him getting any visitation with Darvo through probation terms and no contact for two plus years. Son is four. So I'm not understanding. So it seems like the dad just got out of jail maybe, and he's on probation for two years. He's on probation and he's had no contact with the child for two plus years. What are the odds of him getting any visitation? Her son's four. I would say, um, I, I think that if he would petition to the court for visits, he would likely get something. I don't know what that is. Um, maybe it might be supervised visits. Maybe it might be supervised calls. Uh, maybe it might be uh, visits in a public place. Again, it really just depends on the circumstances of of dad and his current situation and the child. Right. Um, I feel like I'm quizzing you. <laughs> sorry is it okay I know and I'm like oh was that a right answer did I get it right I'm expecting a ding 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 I'm just kidding there are actually no right or wrong answers in family law because honestly you just never know everything really depends on the court your judge how they view things the fact patterns of your case no case is exactly the same and even though I think that I've had semi-similar cases outcomes can be completely different right 
hundred percent. Yeah. Which is why I think it's important in the beginning, we're saying like, this is not legal advice, but we do have somebody who obviously is, I mean, you're a lawyer. So, um, you can, you can kind of explain things for us, but, uh, it's going to, I mean, it's dependent on every case is so different and every judge decides so differently. So. Yes. And that's why when people say, well, I just want to leave it up to the judge. I remind them that that's not always the best case scenario because you have this person in a black robe making decisions about your life and your family and your children. Mm -hmm. They might not always get it right, which is very frustrating. So if you as a parent can work with the other side to come up with something that may not be perfect, but it's something that you can work with, that's always the best case scenario. Right. I have a lot of people asking for 50 on 50, 50. Um, a lot of these, I mean, majority of these women are, um, the following is women who have been in abusive relationships. Um, obviously we don't know like the extent of the abuse or what their experience is, which again, it's like different case by case. Um, but for example, Nia says, I'm about to have to go to mediation after we just left a trial. He's on supervised visits and he wants 50, 50 shared unsupervised. It's terrifying help. So with that particular fact pattern, if he's currently on supervised visits, the court would likely do a step up plan and not order 50, 50 visits right now. Um, I think that it would be unlikely, but in the near future, probably the court may order 50-50 as long as they believe that it would be in the best interest of the child to have frequent and continuous contact with the other parent. And this is what I tell clients is that I get it that when you're in an abusive relationship, you've lived with this person, you know this person and you know what they're capable of. But the way that the court sees it is that Sometimes certain people draw out the bad in other people. So just because they were a certain way with you or, or had uh, a reaction towards you, um, right? Like, a you know, you guys had domestic violence does not mean that they are going to be that way with the children. You're saying how they view it? I'm sorry? Are you saying this is how the, how the judge views it? The court views it? Yes. So the court usually views it that they're not going to be physical. So if they've been physical with you and you've been able to prove it, the court's not going to automatically assume that they're going to be physical with the children. Right. There has to be also evidence that they're going to be physical with the children. I think it's hard to hear that though, because like, um, like my, so in my situations public, like, but my ex-husband, I have recordings of him when I finally left of him confessing to pedophilia and sexual like sexual fantasies about children which is why like divorce was finalized and um I have had full custody of my kid for almost three years now but he's still pressing for unsupervised and that's what a lawyer had told me is very similar to what you said is like we need you need proof if like he's unsafe for your child but in these tapes he confesses that he thinks that he touched certain children but the court says it's not enough because like he needed to say, I did this, I did this here, I did this then. And the fact that he has these like sexual fantasies about children and attractions and even mentions like 
yeah, things that pertain to like him, not should, he should not be having like full custody. I can't like disclose everything that was on those tapes, but, um, just for like the safety of other children that were in the tapes. But like, I I'm like, I feel like the court, I don't know if it's just my situation, but I feel like they don't even, I feel like they don't care. Well, I, I don't think that they don't necessarily care. Um, I think that again, the court looks at it like people walk around. Sorry, I didn't, I was hoping it wouldn't ring. So I think they, I think they look at it like people walk around every day with symptoms of pedophilia. Mm -hmm. Do they all act on it? No. Is it possible to never act on your pedophilia? Sorry. Is it possible to never act on, on these urges? Um, Maybe perhaps I think that the court doesn't have enough information to say, for sure, you know, if somebody has these thoughts, they are actually going to harm a child. And I think that the court does really well on airing on the side of caution because they won't grant actual visits right away or they'll try to do a step-up plan or they'll want somebody around that's a mandated reporter. Or at least that's what happens in California. And I think in your situation, um, I, I believe they're doing the supervised um, uh, FaceTime calls. Right. So... I think that it's not necessarily that the court doesn't believe that the the evidence, I think that there's just not enough out there on pedophilia for the court to say, you know, absolutely, if they've had these thoughts, if they feel this way, they are going to for sure act on it. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, makes sense. Which is very difficult to hear. It is. It is really difficult to hear. Um, okay. Let's get back to this. So um, let's see. So Kiara says, I have court tomorrow. And how do I start the restraining order process against my baby daddy? Well, I think we we talked about this in the last episode. It would just be going down to court, filling out the forms, making sure you're very detailed in what happened. Um, use as much evidence and detailed world, words as possible to describe what happened and make sure you detail all of the events, not just one, if there, if there was more than one occasion when there was domestic violence or right. abuse. Right. Jasmine Moore Wallace says, please teach women about ex parte orders. I initiated a divorce, but didn't file for primary custody. The ex did an ex parte custody order, and I still have PTSD. So ex parte orders are emergency orders. They are not necessarily a step in a divorce process. They are used in certain situations where a party can prove that if the court doesn't grant these particular orders right now, there's going to be severe irreparable harm that will be caused to the child. So ex parte orders are very, very, um, I would say like, they're not difficult orders to get, but they are, they do require a lot of detail as to why the court needs to make these temporary orders right now for the child. And you need to show that if the court doesn't make these orders, then there's going to be severe consequences to the minor child. Um, so I don't know why her ex would file an ex party in, if it was granted it, sounds like there may have been a reason to grant it. Um, so it's not part of a divorce process. You really need to have something where you're saying, hey, my child is going 
to um, dad's house, but now there is someone that lives there that um, does drugs or makes my child feel uncomfortable or, you know, just there has to be actual serious things happening. Right. Yeah. Um, let's see. Help. I tried to get a restraining order against my ex who put hidden cameras in my apartment, but it was denied. What I, what do you do if a restraining order is denied, but you have, I mean, I know that you need to have proof. Like I've had multiple restraining orders approved and then dropped because they, they weren't getting, uh, he kept finding loopholes in the German system, but here in America, I don't know how it works. You just have to like reapply again. Right. I'm sorry. I missed that end part of it. Could you repeat it? I'm sorry. Yeah. Does she just need to re reapply again? Because if she got a restraining order against her ex who put hidden cameras in her apartment, but it was denied, what would you suggest she do? Well, I think that, I think it's hard to refile for a restraining order. I think that at that point, she should definitely talk to a lawyer and figure out why, why in that lawyer's opinion was the restraining order denied? Was it because she just indicated that she found cameras? Can she linked it directly to her ex? Um, there, there's a lot of things, but I wouldn't necessarily say that filing the restraining order right away would be the best case scenario. I think that she would likely have to wait until something else happens and then refile again and then indicate like, look, I had filed previously because there was cameras in my home and it was denied, but now look, he's continuing to harm me. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't really understand this question. Rocket City mom and stepmom says, what is the best way to, do to document that your ex only shows up two to three weeks before a hearing? Well, the documentation would be there. It would be, um, I would always suggest is that everything needs to be via text. So I would indicate on the text, like, hey, why, why is this a pattern that you're continuing to just show up to pick up the children right before we go to court. This is not healthy for our children. This is not um, consistent. This is this is just not okay. And I'm going to make sure that the court sees this. You send that text message, you print it out and you bring it to court because the court will likely ask him. And if he lies, then the court's gonna say, did you get this message from her? And what was your response? And if he didn't respond, then that's an admission or I believe that that would be an, an admission. Because if somebody texts me with that and that was not the truth, I would be like, what are you talking about? What is going on with you? Have you lost your mind or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so movies.shows for you says, how can I ask the judge to up the default order of child support when the other parent refuses to show up? So it's, it would honestly be based on income. Um, you would have to show evidence that they're making more money. But again, child support is so difficult. It literally is based on um, the formula, your income, their income, and the timeshare. If they're refusing to show up to court, it, that's very different than refusing to show up um, to pick up your child, right? So if they're refusing to show up to pick up your child, then you would have to go in and modify the custody to tell the court that you need the court to order the status quo, which is whatever he's actually doing as opposed to the court order. And then you would uh, use that to modify the child support. Hmm. 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this person says, any tips on modifying a visitation court order? The son's dad hasn't seen him in six months, but I'm scared to go modify. So I think, no, absolutely. It's important to modify, but I will say that if the child, the, the dad hasn't seen the child in six months, dad can just show up at any point and say, look, I want to exercise my visits. Um, so I do think that it's important to go in and file to modify them to show the court that, look, this is happening and he's not around. So I want to modify it so that dad um, can actually stick to whatever visitation we have so that I know when my child is going to get picked up or when they're not. Right. Because as a parent, you need to be able to plan for your child. Right. Um, this person says, I have court next week and I need this restraining order to continue. I need to know what to say. I would say that you need to go in there and tell the truth and tell the court what's happened. Bring in any evidence and always go in with a lawyer. Yeah. That would be my number one advice to anyone. <laughs> you know what I was thinking last, the last episode we did, I said, I was like listening to it and I was dying because I said pro bono instead of pro se. Oh, that's why I was like, where, where did they use that? I think I Googled it. <laughs> so funny. And then you're like, well, here in, here in like, um, California, we say pro se. <laughs> like, we oh, say pro se or we say in pro per, but I was like, pro I, bono. <laughs> yeah, I know. I listened to myself again. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, I said that wrong, but I was like, so confused when you said that. Cause I'm like, what does she mean? And then, and then I re-listened to it. I'm like, oh, that's why I said like, that. oh shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's see. Um, so my daughter will be 18 in six months. Her bio father has never helped financially, not a cent, her entire life. Is it too late for child support? Yes, I would say that the court would likely not order child support since the child is so close to turning 18 because the it is a process. It does not happen right away. Um, so it really just depends on how quickly she's turning 18. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, are gals a good idea to have in family cases? Should I fight against it? A guardian at litem. Um, it really depends. I mean, if your child is the one asking for the restraining order, Generally, you would be their guardian at litem, or you would be the person that would ask for the restraining order. But guardian at litem sometimes are appointed when the child is asking for a restraining order against their actual parent, and they don't have another parent. Um, it's or when the child is older, like sixteen. Um, I mean, at least that's the way it's used here in California. I'm not sure what they mean by using it in a restraining order in that and with that particular question. I think it's just in family court. I think she said not a restraining order. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, that would be what I think that the court would likely use it. Or, um, I mean, maybe they mean something like a minor's counsel, um, which would here in California would be an attorney for your child. I don't think it has the same meaning, but it might be in another state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. My friend, so 
Nicolia 410 says, my friend's been going through her divorce for six years. The judge is awful. Is there anything she can do to make the judge finalized? Well, I think that it doesn't really mean that they have to go before the judge. It would mean that the parties need to agree to finalize their divorce and submit the appropriate paperwork. The issue that people have is when they try to finalize a divorce without their uh, without an attorney, it drags on the process and they find themselves in front of the judge getting very frustrated. I actually heard a case today while I was waiting for my hearing to be called where these people were married for something like five years and they have an ongoing divorce for seven years and they hadn't been in court for two years. So the court was trying to tell them, look, you need to submit your paperwork. And the guy's going, I thought I had been divorced since three years ago. And the judge is like, well, I hope you didn't get married because you actually need to finalize your divorce by signing the paperwork. Oh, wow. And I think that that's the risk that people take when they, um, represent themselves, especially in a divorce, because you have to know what to do in the process because you're essentially your own lawyer and the court will expect you to be able to know the laws as lawyers do and be able to um, submit the appropriate paperwork and everything that is needed to finalize everything. And the judges can't hold your hand. They can't give you legal advice from the bench. Right. <clears throat> Um, BB says, what happens when, when my restraining order expires? Will I continue to have full custody of our son or will I have to file again in court? Here in California, when restraining orders expire, if there is uh, orders for custody, those will remain as is unless modified by the court. So you would still have those orders, but I would say that it would be best to always go to court and um, get those orders as custody orders and a separate document because if you ever find yourself in front of a police officer and you're showing him this restraining order who's that is expired with the custody they may look at it like I don't know if this is actually the custody because your restraining order is expired so we can't we can't expect outside people to know exactly how the court system works. That's why I would always just encourage everyone to go to court and actually get um, the custody established under, under a custody case and not just have it based on what the restraining order says. Right. Um, Rebecca Johnson, 817 says, can the dad sign over full custody if he's saying he doesn't want to be involved? Yes, Absolutely. Um, there is a process for that and they can sign over full custody, but sometimes um, the parents will want to sign their rights away because even if he signs over full custody to you, uh, you can still get him for child support. So mm -hmm. the court wants to know, are you signing off your rights away? Are you, um, are you signing off just the custody? And you may even say like, look, if you would give me the entire full physical and legal custody, I won't go after you for child support. And then that way it is a done deal. Um, but again, it depends on all everyone's circumstances. Right. <clears throat> um, some of these are just like, A lot of them are repeat questions, I think, that <clears throat> other people will already need. 
Um, so I have a few people, they want to know about parental uh, alienation. So that is very difficult to prove. You have to really show, because everyone uses that term in court, like, like when, when they say the other parent is a narcissist, it's the same way that, that parental alienation is used. What needs to be shown is that the, the other parent is doing everything possible to alienate you from the children. So they are excluding you for acti from activities, excluding you from doctor's appointments, um, telling your child that you're not a good parent. Um, it, it, it does take a lot to show that the other parent is alienating the other parent. Um but if it is happening in your case, I would just say to document everything so that you have that evidence. Yeah. Um, let's see. I don't get this one entirely. Caitlin says, how long should I be waiting after denying the other party's request? That doesn't make sense. Never mind. Let's get that one. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these questions are like so like confusing the way they're worded. So I'm like trying to figure out. Let's see. Is it important when you go to court to take out all of the emotion and go with facts and figures only? Absolutely. Because if you start getting emotional, the court will get very frustrated. Think about it. I mean, it's very draining listening to so many people talk about their problems and, and fight over a child um, or over assets or whatever it is in family court. So if you do find yourself getting emotional, um, you really need to check your emotions and make it just about the specific facts and what's happening. Because a lot of the time the court will ask you a question and instead of directly answering it, you bring in a lot of the emotion and a lot of the fluff that the court just does not have the time for, and they will cut you off. And that's when a lot of people say, well, the court didn't let me speak. I had no way of telling the court what was happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> this person, Mandy Lehman says, I have to give a statement to the magistrate to allow my son to move 117 miles away. Any advice? My ex is a heavy drinker and lives in a hotel. Well, that would be called here in California, a move away order. Those are, um, those require for you to be very detailed. There are certain fact patterns that need to be um, shown to be able to get a move away order. Uh, and I think that if your ex is living in a hotel and a severe drinker, I think that that may um, weigh in your favor. But I also think that you would need to show the court that you would continue to make an effort to have the other parent involved, to have the other parent have visits with the ch children, to have FaceTime calls. You need to, again, show the court that you are the, the most reasonable parent, that you're not just taking the child away from this parent, that there's a reason why you need to move, and that you're going to continue doing everything possible to make sure that that other parent is involved in your child's life. Mm. I don't know if you'd be able to answer this question, but it's it's, I'm just curious. It says from Krista Marie, please help me. My ex is a cop whose job is sitting in a family court watching divorce cases every day, eight hours a day. Oh, wow. Well, that's tough because they're going to know how the court feels, how the court I, thinks. Um, I mean, I would say to absolutely get an attorney in that situation because you want to make sure that you are going to be able to tell the, the court exactly what 
needs to be shown in court and exactly what needs to be um, proven. And the only way that you can do that is through an attorney and that that parent is going to have um, the knowledge of how the court reacts and how the court sees things. And they're likely going to get an attorney as well. Right. <laughs> What's your take on gender bias? Like a lot of women here, they, you know, there's always that, that phrase, well, it's a mother's state or mothers will always like get custody. But I've known a lot of mothers who, who's the, the dad's got custody and they're great mothers. Like I personally know them. Do you disagree with that? Like, is there a gender bias in court when it comes to family court or no? I think a lot of the courts are going away from the gender bias. I think that as long as you can show that you're a great parent, I think that um, the court will agree to let you have access to the child. I don't know how it would work where somebody who is a great parent would not have custody of the children. I think that a lot of the times we see what the other, what these people want to show us. I think that, um, you know, in, in our perspective, they may be a great parent, right? When they're out in public or around other people, but they, the other parent was probably able to show the court that they are not always the best parent. The kids are not always safe in their care. For a court to completely take away the custody from a mom, even though others claim that she's a good parent, I think that that's kind of questionable. Same with the dad. The court will never just completely take away a dad's custody, especially if the dad can show that, um, that they are a good parent. I, I do think that the court is going, is moving away from just giving moms custody. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the court is moving more towards like a standard 50 50. Um, but I don't think that they're quite there yet. I do know some courts that start backwards. I do know that some courts will start with like, hey, you guys both deserve 50 50. And if you can show me why the other parent shouldn't have it, then we'll take it away. Whereas most courts still still look at it like, okay, whoever is the primary parent, whoever the children live with right now will continue to, and we can increase time with the other parent. I have a, I know this girl who, um, she's become one of my friends through the process. Like I interviewed her and did her story on, um, my podcast and she's like an advocate within the domestic violence community. Um, and basically she has a little boy who's like, I think he's five. And, um, there was a lot of abuse, like emotional abuse going on and, um, reactive abuse on her end. And she basically like, I don't really remember like the full extent of it, but now today he has full custody of her son and she has, um, she gets him like I think in the summer she gets him summers and then she gets him one time every month. And she records a lot of the things that are happening and conversations. And it's very, very clear and very evident that there's a lot of manipulation going on there. And he's kind of, it's just like a control thing. For example, like he's had many girlfriends throughout this process. And so this little boy is around constantly around these like quote unquote mother figures. And then these, these women are are stating that once they break up that this person, this dad was not a good father figure and was like, basically doesn't really care about him, but it's just a lot about control. And she has been in court trying to get back full custody of her child 
for the last year. And she's like literally on the brink of death because it's so tormenting to her because this is her little boy. And he comes back every month, just, I mean, not even himself. And then he has to go back to his father. And even the father, even the child has said like, the way that the the father treats him isn't, isn't nice. He like yells at him a lot. And she's a great mother, like phenomenal human being, but I don't, I don't fully understand the situation, but I've met quite a few moms who've gone through something like this. So I think that that goes to what I say when I tell people that the court doesn't always get it right. I don't know what the fact patterns are in her particular situation because people don't always tell the outside world the truth. Um, but if if it is the way that you're explaining it to me, it really doesn't make sense. And the only way that I can kind of see something like that happening would be is if she is coming to the court more emotional and not being able to present her evidence because she's not stating it in a right way. She's unrepresented. Um, and the other side is able to come in and bring in the evidence and essentially show that she's violating his privacy by recording things or just making her not look like the standard or like the the safe parent. Um, but in those situations, I just really hope that she has an attorney. Yeah, she definitely like... Um has had to reel in like her emotional reactivity. Like I said, there is like that reactivity that came from the emotional abuse. And like, she has had to learn how to like emotionally regulate because she's distraught obviously. Um, but she's gone between being pro se to having a lawyer. Um, but she was pro se during, I think a lot of that time. And yeah, it's just brutal. Um, they like he's really painted her as someone that she's not. And in the beginning, I was like a little bit skeptical. I'm always just kind of like, I recognize that like in this community, we can any of us can say anything we want to paint a picture of somebody that isn't. And so, like, while I always err on the side of believing survivors, I want you know that's what I do is I like to hear stories and I want to understand people, women's hearts and have had like a, the fortune a fortunate like experience of just getting to know so many women who have gone through abusive relationships, but like she is so true and genuine. And I think the way that she has been painted is incorrect. And it's just brutal watching her go through this experience. And she's like gripping for that child. And it's awful. What do I do when courts ignore a child's disclosure of child sexual assault? I think that that happens a lot. Um, And I think because you do need additional evidence to show the court, right? So you need child protective services reports. You need um, police reports. If you don't have any of those and you just have a child saying certain things, the court may be skeptical as to how the child learned to say these things or where or why the child is saying these things. Yeah. Um, So it's important to just have additional evidence as much as possible. Right. Um, Okay. Stephanie says I'm in Georgia and my narcissist ex-husband is trying to take my kids. Um, He's trying to exhaust me financially and emotionally. I think that happens a lot. A lot of people get. It does. It happens a lot. People's strategy is to really financially drain someone and 
And that's why I think it's so important to find the right lawyer that's going to be able to deal with the situation. So I have attorneys that will bombard me with paperwork. And right away, I know that they're just doing it to build their clients. And when I catch that, I have a conversation with my client where I tell them, look, I'm going to send you over anything that I think is important or anything that we need to respond to. I will, but I don't want to just waste your money. I'm not going to just completely continue to respond every day just because this person we're their only case. I mean, I don't know how anybody has that kind of time, but sometimes it really does feel like that. And I think that it is the other side exhausting, uh, my clients or anybody of of their funds so that eventually they no longer have the ability to have an attorney and that person will have the upper hand. Right. And anytime you're in a custody case, it is very emotionally draining. I'm sorry. My phone's ringing. Sorry. Can you hear that? Yeah, it's okay. Hold on. My phone was ringing earlier too. Then my, my coffee machine just yeah, and then I was on mute. My coffee machine just started like going crazy. It didn't even print anything. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> I know. Again, this is the raw tapes. <laughs> I know the raw tapes, seriously. Um, okay, last question I'm gonna I'm gonna ask is from Desiree Gonzalez, and she says, What can what can the parent do when your toddler's father is going against the court order and agreements he made with minors counsel? What can you I do if that counsel doesn't do anything about the violation of court order? Well, that's the thing is that minors counsel isn't going to really do anything just because something violates a court order, right? That is up to a parent. Minors counsel just does whatever they think would be in the parent, in the child's best interest. So minors counsel may get everything that you send them, but they may not always do something with it because, I mean, it really, it really depends on the facts. Like, is it enough to completely turn um, around custody and change certain orders. Um, a lot of people go to minors counsel and bombard them with, he's not communicating on the talking parents app. Well, I mean, what's minors counsel really going to do about that? She can't really force someone to do it. I think that the only thing you can do is bring it up in court. But the, but the thing that I would say you not do is do not go to court and put any blame on minors counsel. I would just say, uh, you know, the information was given to minors counsel. Um, this is what's happening. I believe that they're in, in violation of a court order and I would like the court to make appropriate orders um, so that they work for us because if these orders aren't working for him and that's why he's violating the orders, then it's clear that we need to change them. But the mistake that people make is that they will go into court and right away bad mouth minors counsel because they feel that minors counsel is not doing anything. And that is a way that you will get minors counsel to not be on your side. Right. Everything you say, I'm like, I'm like, right. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. But I like, have no, I'm like, I'm like learning from you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that I, I try to understand everyone's feelings and emotions behind it. But I think I also have the perspective of the way that the court sees things. And I'm a daily settlement officer in the court. So judges will send cases to me so that I can settle them. Mm -hmm. So in that role, I pretty much take on the role of the judge. And I can see now why judges get so frustrated with people talking over each other and, and snapping at each other um, in the middle of, of you know, discussions. 
um, it gets frustrated as frustrating as someone that's trying to resolve your case because you do have people just throwing around all this fluff and then you have like, like remarks, well, well, if you wouldn't have left me for our neighbors, like, okay, people, I didn't need to hear that. Like, let's just talk about what we're doing with the car. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. This might be really quickly. My last question. So if someone's painted in a bad light, like, and the court has kind of caught on to that, right? Um, and you're saying courts don't always get it right. How can like someone reframe and kind of change that narrative? Is it possible to do that? Or once the courts kind of just don't like you, they don't like you. Like how is like the, my friend, for, I'm thinking about my friends. Like if they see yeah. her, in the life, how can she, how can she change that? So I think by um, trying to figure out what it was that she was doing that the court did not like, um, I would immediately change that and I would come back to the court and file and indicate that you are, you know, you are working on yourself, you took parenting classes, um, you did anything that you needed to do for your child, that you're no longer trying to come into court with boxes and boxes of evidence. Um, I, I think that you're, you're definitely able to change the court's perspective on you. Um, it just requires you to know what it was that set the court off or that really triggered the court or really upset the court. And a lot of the times people don't get it. They're just like, the court hates me. And I'm like, uh, okay, the court does not hate you. What happened at your last hearing? Right. And, and I think it's always important to have the backup evidence and be able to show that evidence. And in order to do that, you have to be prepared for the court to ask you questions and for you to answer them the way that the court expects you to answer them, obviously with no emotion and not a lot of fluff. They want direct answers. Right. Yeah. Ooh, that was a lot of, <laughs> that was a lot of questions. I got through a lot of questions though. Yeah. I feel like I'm quizzing you. Um, I think we can definitely do it again. I think, um, you know, a lot of people do have a lot of questions and I think it's nice to be able to give some information out there, even though it may not be exactly the way that they can apply it to their case. I think a lot of this information isn't really out there for people to just have. And it, it really requires certain people to adjust their brain and the way that they think um, when going into court, because people expect the court to understand why they feel a certain way. And the court doesn't always do that. So having people see that, you know, the court doesn't always get it right, or that there's a certain strategy, um, it might, you know, essentially help somebody. Right. I'm hoping that it will help somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super grateful for you just taking the time to come on and answer. Um, I really hope that the people who are listening, that you have found little nuggets of, of gold in here. Cause I think there's a lot in here. Um, <clears throat> and obviously like this is not legal advice, um, and the encouragement to find a good lawyer who will advocate for you and support you is so important, but I think it kind of provided insight in a lot of different areas today for a lot of us. So thank you for taking your lunch break <laughs> to come sit with me and, and answer all of these questions. And like you said, we can do this again sometime in the future as well. Cause I know it, I mean, it blew up on TikTok. So I think there's a lot of people with clearly a lot of questions. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and I look forward to being on the show again soon.
Okay. Alrighty guys, tune in next Thursday. It's actually going to be our final episode for season four, which is so crazy. Um, I'm kind of sad about it, but also excited because um, this season has just been amazing. This panel of guests, um, it's really just changed the game, I think here in what was her name and really equipped a lot of survivors, which was the goal for this season. So um, tune in next Thursday. If this podcast has impacted you, um, I'd love for you to rate it on Spotify as well as Apple podcast that just gets the podcast out there for more people to listen and know your experience. So thanks. And we'll see you next Thursday.